0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is on assignment. And uh, before we get to the episode proper and all the fun, fun stuff we're going to talk about with our fun, fun guest, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by White to Play, a new short film from Yona Paley. What do you get when you cross the 1500 year old game of chess with a thrilling fantasy movie? White to Play. Well, I think you get the end of uh, the first Harry Potter movie, right? Um, (laughs) I'm looking at a guest who has decided to really commit to the not... Not participating until she's introduced. Um, sorry, White to Play is the latest film from Reddit director Yona Paley. It follows a tournament chess player named Michael who goes face to face with one of the toughest opponents of his career. She in the very game they are playing threaten to bring Michael down to his knees. A game of patience becomes one of dread and terror. We have just two weeks left to raise funds for the film, which will cover costs such as costumes, set design, special effects, and much, much more. Head to battleshippretention.com and click on the White to Play ad on the left-hand side to contribute to this unique film and i also want to tell you about tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great and tyler and i use them each and every day i don't know if our guest does uh but they're i would highly recommend it um today i was listening to all sorts of new music i was listening to the new song from the strokes called at the door it's very good i was listening to the new experimental ep album thing by uh uh, diamanda gallus called the litanies of satan that was a fun uh drive to work with uh or 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 or, or walk to work uh, with her screaming my ears um i was i listened to the new song from Actor Caleb Landry Jones. Oh, <laughs> I didn't
1: know he was a musician.
0: <laughs> yeah, he has a new song out. It's uh it, it's 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 weird. I don't know. It's it, it's okay, but it all sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're, they're excuse me. They're available. In a, uh, at a low, low price at tweakedardio.com But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So I employ you to go to TweakedAudio.com and use the offer code pretension. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, in record time, I'm going to introduce our guest. She's become our go-to uh, uh, film festival wrapper-upper uh, with me. So welcome back to the podcast, Angie Han.
1: Hello, I'm happy to be here. Yes, I am from Mashable and I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) I saw, now I can't remember what the movie was, but I saw an ad the other day and it had like a a pull quote that just said Mashable. I was like, I wonder if that was Angie, but um, I can't remember what it was.
1: Well, then I can't tell you if it was me because I don't know if it's a movie I've even seen.
0: Yeah. And now that I think about it, it might have been a TV, so, a TV show. So uh, I don't know if you reviewed TV over there. Good uh, story,
1: David. Yeah. We're off to a great start.
0: Um, but yeah, what, I, what I'm saying is Mashable has made quite a name for themselves over years of covering uh, popular culture and, and tech and stuff. But when I see Mashable, I think Angie Han.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh,
0: so, uh, Angie, how you been?
1: I have been well. How are you been?
0: How are you? How
1: how have you been?
0: I've been very, very stressed out. But uh, as I was saying off mic, I'm getting ready to uh, go to Vegas for a long weekend. So uh, I'll I'll be right as rain by next week.
1: Very nice. I'm going to Santa Barbara this weekend. So I'm excited about that.
0: Oh, what are you what are you you doing?
1: Just hanging out, getting out of L.A. and its immediate surrounding areas.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're going to do some wine. You Drink some wine.
1: It seems like you're not allowed to go there without doing a bunch of wineries. So, yes, yeah,
0: that's what you do. Yeah. That's what's that's what's fun about about Santa Barbara, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a beach um, town. There's wine and beer and apparently just, you know, a gazillion wineries and breweries and restaurants. So, yeah, we go. It, my, is, it my, seems po- it seems impossible to not have fun.
0: Um, my wife, my lovely wife, Natalie and I, you know, Natalie are um, kind of big wine people so we spend a lot of time in, in, in Los Olivos and the Santa Ynez Valley and Los Alamos and Solvang and all that stuff. All uh, right. Yeah, which is obviously inland from, from Santa Barbara because I guess we're not beach people. I I'd never thought about that. I guess we're, uh, uh, I don't know, We've been to the beach. Okay. All right. Uh, um, Angie, what are we here to do today?
1: We are here to talk about, I don't even know how many, a lot of Sundance movies that we saw.
0: Yes, we'll be talking, we'll be wrapping up everything worth talking about, uh, at, uh, at Sundance 2020. Although even that's not really true. Cause you ever, do you ever have this thing that happened? Cause so many movies premiere at Sun, Sundance. And I mean, specifically like premiere, I mean like, as opposed to TIFF, which last time you were on, we were wrapping up TIFF 2019. Um, I always talk too fast when Tyler's not here. I feel like Tyler slows me down. Um, so last time you were here was for TIFF 2019. And when we talk about t- TIFF, you go in knowing like all these great directors whose work I love have movies at TIFF. And I've heard of some of these movies, you know, because I, I know they're coming out because they played other festivals. You know, they might have just played Venice or Tell Telluride or something. But like Sundance really uh, prioritizes the premiere thing. And so a lot of times I feel like You go to like you try to do your research, but you go to Sundance, not necessarily knowing what the big movies are going to be. And also the other thing that happens is that movies end up coming out across the year that you're like, wait, that premiered at Sundance. Yeah. Like I wasn't even there. And like didn't is there was something like Clemency or something, like premiered at Sundance last year? I can't that might not be the movie I'm thinking of. But something like that right. where it was like it wasn't on my radar at all. Right. And ends up being like a sort of big deal movie by the end of the year. So when I say we're gonna talk about everything worth talking about at Sundance, I'm being tongue tongue in cheek because we don't even like Sundance I feel like it takes a year or two to look back at a a festival and be like, oh, that was a good year. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. especially the past couple years, because my my first two years, which I think were also your first two years. I think so. You had Manchester by the Sea the first year, and you had Call Me By Your Name the second year. Right. And um, I feel like everyone kind of left knowing like, oh, those are the big movies. And I don't know that there's been a Sundance movie like that since Call Me By Your Name.
1: I'm not sure, but I will say, I mean... The other thing is that at, like, nobody knows what the big movies will be out of there. There are also things at Sundance that seem like they're going to be huge, and then turn out not to be as we see every year when right. there's like some sort of record deal made for a movie and then it actually comes out and then all the headlines are about how yes. the studio overpaid for it so that's, that's become a really common Sundance storyline so I guess what I'm saying is let yourself off the hook no one knows what the what the, all the movies worth seeing but, are at Sundance I, which is kind of the joy and the terror of it
0: and I don't follow that sort of the the acquisitions part of it that, that much I imagine you have to a little bit uh, uh, for much. work now yeah um, but it seems like like the two movies I named, Manchester by the Sea and Call Me by Your Name, they aren't when people think of like I feel like we're still the the shadow of uh what's going to be little miss sunshine is still hanging over Sundance. And so you hear like the movies ended up getting the big deals off. And like, what, I get, what was the big one this year? Palm Springs, Palm Springs, like, which beat out,
1: uh, was it birth of a nation by like 69 cents?
0: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's funny. That was a um, cute little joke,
1: which birth of a nation, another one that at Sundance, yeah. everyone was like, this is going to be the big movie this year. It's going to make so much money. It got like a huge reception, uh, and then, you know, the studio bought it for lots and lots of money. And then it, I mean, it's not entirely just like festival hype was not the only reason why that really just went bust. But
0: yeah, there are other reasons. And yeah. also the fact that. Birth of Nation is not a very good movie, um, if you ask me. And I think that happened. The, the festival glow really, uh, I think, is it, it, it's something that happens at every festival. where People like overpraise things because that right. sort of. Nature of being at a festival is like you're like we all love movies and we're all here together and that's exciting and I feel like Sundance maybe because it's like cold outside, like there's more of a sense of like we're all huddling together and watching these movies and people love these Sundance movies. I feel like it's more than other festivals that festival glow shows up and then people because they're one of the big movies from last year that I didn't see at Sundance was Light Night and then I saw it when it came out in like June and I was like this sucks
1: what oh the Mindy Kaling yeah yeah I was
0: like this movie sucks and not only does it suck. Uh, dot com readers know it made our site's list of the 10 worst movies of 2019. Oh my gosh, so, you must have
1: seen a lot of great movies last year, because, I, I mean, I'm not saying it was my favorite movie of last year, but I wouldn't say one of the 10 worst things that I saw.
0: I, well, I didn't put it on my but list. It's, like it's a weighted list. I didn't put it on my list, but uh, uh, it did make the list.
1: At least for me, with that movie, that movie's actually a good example of what you're talking about for me personally, because I really liked it, and I do feel like one of the reasons I liked it Maybe, you know, I stand by my positive review of it. Like, I liked it. I'm, I don't feel bad about that. But I do feel like, even at the time, I knew going into <laughs> that movie, if it's a comedy and it's, like, pretty good, then I'm probably going to have a good time. Because that was a day that I had come off of watching, like, the Harvey Weinstein documentary. Oh, right. And I think, like, yeah. Honey Boys or something. Like, it was a day where I had seen so many depressing films in a row. And I feel like film festivals kind of do that to you, where the way that you're watching them is different just by virtue of the fact that you're watching like two or three or four or five in one day. And you know, there's also the fact that you don't really know what to expect, which I think kind of uh, contributes to that Sundance bubble. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because, uh,
1: because a lot of the time you don't really know what to expect of the movie you're watching. Like if you're taken by surprise, that will change your reaction to it. Whereas then by the time it comes out later in the year, the audiences who are seeing late night when it actually comes out have had a certain set of expectations instilled sure. into them by like the hype and, you know, kind of like the, the general murmur that's been going on around it. So uh, I feel like, I feel like that all this stuff is kind of, kind of why Sundance seems to be maybe a, an even worse offender than other <laughs> film festivals yeah. in terms of there being that bubble.
0: But I find because I get so in my head about this that I almost do the opposite where some, t- like you mentioned uh, Honey Boy and that's what made me think of this is last year I saw Honeyboy and I was like, I think that was good, and I wrote a good review. And I was like, that I? I was like, that was good, right? And then I was like, wait, was it? And then like it came out, and other people started seeing it, and everyone liked it. I was like, yeah, I was right. Uh, That's a good movie. <laughs> it's hard to <laughs> um, calibrate.
1: I mean, even if you try to correct for it, you don't necessarily know. And this is true, really, of like any movie review. Like you know, any any movie that I see is just necessarily going to be influenced at least a little bit by what mood I'm in that day and how I'm feeling. You know, there's like all these kind of factors no matter how hard you try to just focus on the art kind of go into your experience yeah. of watching the movie which can't help but color your reaction to it um, but now I completely lost the thread of what I was saying so I will stop <laughs> talking
0: th- this is getting away from Sundance and we'll get back to Sundance that's why some of my favorite reviews to watch are the things or reviews to watch reviews to write are the movies like your Avengers or Star Wars or whatever where I know that like pretty much no one has seen it and all I have, to, and it's not going to be that hard for me between seeing it because I'm not going to see it till three or four days before the release, and I'll go home and write my review that night. I won't, I'll be tainted by as little other, uh, a, 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 as few other opinions as possible.
1: When you see Avengers, you're tainted by as few other uh, reviews as possible.
0: Because I'm, what I'm saying is I'm seeing it before it comes out, but okay. also before. Anyone else's... Oh, so you're like, saying it's
1: the difference between like if you review Honey Boy and then I review it six months later after I've heard, read your review of it. Yes. 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 Okay. So I see what that, you mean.
0: That's why I like I, I, I like writing those. Sometimes I'm I surprise my... I, I knew. Because I was on the opposite side of, I mentioned Avengers and Star Wars. I was on the opposite side of both. I did not like Endgame, and I kind of knew I was going to be in the minority, but I did like Rise of Skywalker, and I was surprised the next morning to find out that everyone didn't like it. I had a good time.
1: I'm happy Uh, for you, man.
0: (laughs) Okay, you're not on my side either. Um, Well, we're going to talk about uh, some movies now. And,
1: uh. Yeah, let's start with Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, (laughs) your favorite movie of 2019. Sundance,
0: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, we're gonna go, uh. alphabetically, and this is including some stuff we saw pre and post Sundance, but this is a, a, uh. just sort of a wrap up. Uh. the first thing I'll mention is The Climb, uh. which is directed by Michelangelo Covino, um. and is was part of Sundance's, uh. spotlight section, which is, um the it's usually only a few movies in spotlight that uh, have played other festivals. Like I said, Sundance is very focused on the premieres, but sometimes they're like, Hey, we like this. So they, uh, they showed the climb, which is uh, not a bad movie. Um, It's about two male friends who at the very beginning of the movie are on like a, a mountain biking trip right before one of their, uh, one of them is about to get married. He wants to get in shape for getting married. So, uh, and then while they're, biking uphill on the climb the other guy reveals to his friends about to get married that he's for like years been sleeping with his fiance and uh, the funny thing is that the rest of the movie is about their friendship which miraculously doesn't end that wedding doesn't happen but the friendship doesn't end and the the sort of conceit of the movie which I've seen other movies do this sort of thing um, uh, and, and, and sometimes it feels a little too schematic a little too gimmicky it only drops in every few, sometimes there would be months or years between scenes, but every scene, not every scene, but a lot of the scenes are all one take or consist of, of, uh, a a few very long, long takes. Um, and that kind of stuff I feel like can, can be distracting, but, um, I actually think it, it, it works here for the most part, mostly because, uh, the movie is surprisingly funny um for a movie that's about uh, a very very bad friend because it's the movie kind of has this um this way of saying like uh well he's a shitty friend but at least he's dependable <laughs> um, like
1: dependably shitty or he, like dependable in other areas kind but, of
0: both okay in a way right. um but it's yeah it's uh it, it's very good it's a dark comedy you've got uh um, I, 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 Michelangelo Cavino, the director plays the bad friend um, I can't remember the name of the guy who plays the other friend but you've also had Gail Rankin the actress Gail Rankin uh, plays the uh, not the wife that he not the fiance that he uh, uh, that Michelangelo Cavito, uh sleeps with but that guy's Second fiance. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Uh, George went plays the guy's dad. Uh, you've got see. Yeah. You've got some, some funny stuff, some, some good character actors, not the best of the festival by any, by any means, but uh, the, uh, not, not, not even the best of the spotlight section. I almost said it was the best, but then I remembered another one. So, uh, that's the climb. I think you're up next with Coded Bias.
1: Yes. Uh, so this is a documentary about bias in algorithms and the effect that it has on society when we kind of assume that algorithms are neutral, which is something that I think, you know, there have been lots of articles and, you know, things about this, like it's people have been thinking about it a lot, but I found it to be really informative and interesting. One of the interesting approaches that the director Shalini Kantai takes is that most of the experts that she speaks with are uh, women and often women of color which kind of I think gives it a little bit of a different perspective than a lot of stories that we hear about the tech industry um, yeah and it, and even, even though the idea that out, like human bias is inevitably coded into these algorithms that we then treat as neutral even though that's not necessarily a new idea I just found it to be really engaging and interesting and I feel like what this documentary does really well is to kind of show you how that is a human problem and how it kind of affects people, you know, on a societal level, but also just in their everyday lives. So I found it, I found it to be, yeah, kind of. I liked it. Yeah.
0: Uh, sticking with the the C's, first movie I saw, uh, first night of Sundance was uh, "Mémuna Decoré's Cuties," which is a French film. Uh, one of only two foreign films that I saw. That's another difference between Sundance and the thing like TIFF is that it's mostly American movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, cuties I loved if it gets, uh, any sort of wide release or, 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 serious attention, um, it will get some backlash because, um, I don't, I, I can imagine, I, I, I tend to try to avoid bad takes, but, but I can imagine some people being offended by, say, the movie Eighth Grade and the fact that there's some like uh, sexual like content about a fourteen year old. I didn't. Uh, I don't remember that much. Okay, I didn't know there was. But this it. Cuties is about eleven year olds, um, and it's a, it's a, it's about a girl from a, a Senegalese family who moves to Paris, and she's from a very traditional family. She doesn't have a great. She's not super happy in her home life uh, for reasons I won't uh, go into, well, I guess I should go into them. Her, her father is basically, uh, I, I guess they're from a polygamous culture. Her, her father is, uh, bringing in a younger second wife, uh, and she's not happy about it as an 11 year old okay. girl, uh, cause she could tell her mother's not happy about it. Right. Um, so she gravitates away from her traditional upbringing toward the sort of, uh, popular girls, uh, in her fifth grade class who, um, have formed a dance troupe that, uh, um, in, in which they dance uh, in, I guess what you'd call they, they wear like skippy clothing and dance like provocatively, except they're 11 year olds and they don't, I think part of what's the movie is exploring is the idea that to a girl in this culture, in our culture, you see so much like sexiness that they might, they they sort of understand sexiness without actually understanding the sex part of it.
1: Yeah, it sounds it sounds to me like it's a and you know I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. So you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it kind of based on what you're saying, it sounds like it's a movie about how uh, like a kid a kid a kid and especially a female child kind of learns sexuality from the culture around her. Right.
0: Yeah. So she she understands like they <laughs> these girls do things in their dances that are like i Again, you would say they're provocative, but only if they knew what they were evoking or provoking, you know okay. but they're doing these like sort of like like were they like humping the floor type of dance moves, or like they're constantly like sticking their fingers in their mouths and all these things that are like uh uh they they clearly don't understand the 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 context but it's and it's kind of funny but it's not it's also a coming of age movie very uh deeply felt one and i think uh uh i um sorry i just recently read someone tweeting that critics should stop using the phrase deeply felt so uh <laughs> apparently that's my so i suddenly caught myself Profoundly doing it. felt yeah. There is what there you, you meant. Go, there, there you go, you go. Um, uh, so i can, i i i kind of uh would love the idea of of the controversy around this because I would love the conversation uh, around this movie. But I'm not sure who, how many people actually end up going to end up seeing it. Um, but it's very, very good.
1: Yeah. and I mean, after the way you described it, I feel like I'm really curious to see it. So maybe yeah. someday I will. Okay. And then we can talk about it.
0: Great. Next up. Oh, it's me again. And this is OK. Uh, I should mention. Speaking of. So Cuties is about a girl directed by a woman. I think like eleven of the sixteen films that I saw at Sundance this year were directed by or directed or co-directed by women. I feel like that's something you've seen in recent years in festivals, like really touting. I've seen it from Sundance and TIFF and AFI Fest, like all touting, like, hey, this year such and such percentage of our uh, uh, films are, are female directed or or, right. or, 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 or whatever. Um, and I'm all for it because I have since 2016, I have. Uh, attempted to watch at least 52 films by women every year. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't quite get to the first couple of years. And then something happened in the, in, in at least my part of the cinephile culture where it suddenly become super easy. And I like blow past 52 films. I watched like 70 movies last year uh, that were directed by women. It's uh, it become, I don't know if it's filtered into your AMCs and like the sort of, movie-going culture at large, you've still got problems about, uh, you know, men on Twitter bragging about how they right. refuse to see little women and stuff like that. But at least in my part of the culture, it's breaking through where it's it's tipping uh, I, in a good way.
1: Okay, first I want to say you're not the only person that has kind of said like, oh, I casually ended up watching a lot of female-directed films at Sundance this year. Like, my, for for myself, my list of films that I've seen, about half of them, I think, ended up being directed <clears throat> by women. And, like, that was not something where I even was consciously trying to yeah. seek out those movies it just kind of ended up that way and I've seen a few people say that you know that has all has happened to them and I will say that this now we're taking a slight detour from Sundance I promise not to take too long but to your that's point okay. about there being uh, it being easier and easier to watch a lot of female directed films like one statistic that's really interesting is that this year there are four Marvel and DC movies and they're all directed by women like that would have been unthinkable even yeah. two years ago like you it, you know it was a big deal when like Patty Jenkins directed one and this year they're like yeah There's two Marvel films. There's two DC films. They're all ladies.
0: Hold on. So it's Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 2. uh, Chloe Zhao is directing The the
1: Eternals. The Eternals.
0: And what's the other one that I'm missing?
1: Um, Kate Shortland is directing Black Widow. Black
0: Widow. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: I did get the director's name right, right? Yeah, yeah. Kate Shortland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, uh, Last Kate Shortland film, you and I saw together. Oh, we did. Berlin at Syndrome Sundance. at Sundance yeah. when the uh, DCP server crashed during like like the killer is like stalking up the stairs, like running the knife along the staircase while the, the victim is like hiding in a cabinet. And then DCP server crashed.
1: Oh, memories. <laughs> I got to say, this was a better Sundance, just at least in terms of I didn't see a single movie that where the where it just crapped out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah the, all the screenings went off happen. well. Yeah, yeah. At least for me. Okay. So, uh, the reason I bring, I bring that up because I saw another film directed by a woman, uh, a documentary. Good. I didn't see that many, but, uh, the documentaries I saw this year, I, I liked, um, this one is called Dick Johnson is dead, which is directed by Kirsten Johnson. Kirsten Johnson, who directed Camera Person a few years ago, and has uh, made a career of uh, being a cinematographer on, on on documentaries. And Dick Johnson is a documentary, but also kind of a, has, has some fictional, some fantasy hybrid things. The idea of the movie is that her dad, Dick Johnson, you know, her mom, as we saw on Camera Person, um, struggled with Alzheimer's and, and, and passed away. And now her dad is starting to forget things and he was living on his own uh in in seattle where she grew up and still running his his uh medical uh uh, practice but he couldn't do that anymore and so um he moves across the country to new york to to live with uh kirsten johnson and she sort of uh for both her sake and his sake, uh, her way of processing the fact that her father is dying is to stage a bunch of kind of darkly funny, um, like uh, sometimes very gory uh, accidental death scenes. <laughs> so like there's like one where he's he's just walking down the street and there's they're staged So like sh- she'll have like normal documentary going and then. As movie goes on, you kind of pick up when what's going to happen, but at the beginning, you don't know when he's like about to suddenly die because um, she like sneak them right. in. So like he's like walking down the street past a construction site, and a guy like a worker carrying like uh, two by fours that have nails sticking out of them comes around the corner, and the nails like catch him in the jugular, and he's like bleeding all over the mailboxes on the sidewalk. And she's actually got her dad like acting these things out. <laughs> um, it's like very darkly funny. And then she also imagines uh, what heaven is like. Uh, uh, for him. So he's, he's, he's got, uh, she's got like dancers with young, her dad and young, her mom masks on like dancing around in heaven. It's uh, it's, it's very sweet, but also um, at the same time as it's so fantastical, it's also very sobering and, and, and uh, uh, straightforward about death. Um, oh, wow. It's a really very moving uh, movie. Dick Johnson is dead.
1: Okay, want to check that one out.
0: All right, you're up next.
1: Oh, I'm up next. What are we talking about? Is it downhill?
0: Force majeure... For dummies. I don't know. I didn't see it. That's, I mean, you're not <laughs> entirely it's mean me to wrong.
1: Say so, yes, Downhill, as uh, David Beck's spoiled, is a American remake of Force Majeure uh, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell playing the couple. And if you've seen Force Majeure, the... Which
0: I'll mention, uh, my absent co-host Tyler put Force Majeure on his list of the 10 best films of the decade.
1: I, I, I really love that movie mm. yeah and the premise is I mean I can give away what the yeah, premise yeah, is right yeah so. so the premise is that this, this couple and their kids are on a ski trip and then something that they think is going to be catastrophic happens and then it doesn't quite happen but one of the but Will Ferrell's character the dad reacts in such a way that just creates this kind of really awkward tension with the rest of the family and that's kind of the premise of it and it basically is it's not force majeure for dummies because <laughs> I mean it's not like force majeure was like super advanced and you had right to be super brilliant to understand it and so it's <laughs> but it it is basically just like a less good version of force majeure and it does and it cues closely enough to the original that you kind of or at least I kind of walked out being like well what was the point of remaking it if it's going to be that similar other than just well a lot of Americans didn't bother watching it because it wasn't an American film I mean that said Uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus is very good. She's one of those actors that I think is very, very reliable, and Mm. so she does she does a lot with this movie, almost enough that I was like, maybe it's worth it for her. Um, But like Will Ferrell, on the other hand, seems miscast. I don't know. It was perfectly fine. Like I had a reasonably good time. Like I feel like if I were kind of watching it at home, I'd be like, sure, this is this is fine. This is kind of funny. Whatever. It's amusing, but just you know like at, like when maybe if i hadn't seen the original it would kind of seem more sure original and interesting to me but, but because i had all i could think was oh okay so it's a less good version of course mature
0: <laughs> and, uh, and obviously the the makers of of downhill uh jim Rash at and uh and searchlight pictures right isn't it a uh, yes, I think it's
1: actually the first one to have the Searchlight logo in front of it instead of Fox Searchlight. And I remember seeing that in screen we Room, being like, oh, like I like audibly reacted because yeah. it's just so strange to see it that way.
0: Um, now, obviously, they couldn't have predicted Parasite's win at the, at the Oscars. But in a, in a post-Parasite world, does the American remake of the foreign language film seem stupider?
1: seems stupider but i will say that like i literally quoted that parasite one inch bear of subtitles line in my <laughs> review of it so you are not the only person that immediately yeah. thought of that
0: uh i'm gonna mention I, I won't go into detail on emma because we actually talked about it on the tiff uh podcast i'm only really uh mentioning it here because it played uh at sundance and it was when i when i almost said client the climb was the best i saw in the spotlight i forgot that emma which I saw at Sundance or saw at TIFF uh, played at Spotlight. But yeah, listen to me and Angie talk about uh, Emma. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Pablo Lorraine and I'm a sucker for movies that are, I'm, I this is going to be weird. Like sad sex movies, <laughs> like movies that have a lot of sex in them, but aren't sexy. Like it's a, Emma's a movie about depression uh-huh. and it's about a character who like sort of treats you know self medicates by having a lot of sex with different people and so it's uh, uh, a for some reason i find that very up my alley okay all right you do you all right you're up you're up again
1: okay so the movie i'm gonna talk about is feels good man which is another documentary superhero movie it is not it's another documentary (laughs) i actually ended up seeing a lot more documentaries than usual this year which was unusual and fun and this one is about pepe the frog yeah. Oh, it's a, okay. So it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. so the feels good man. I did not know this until I saw this is just like, like that. The most famous image of him is from like a comic strip where he says feels good man. And oh, okay. so that's why it's called that. Um, but it's about, it's about him. It's directed by Arthur Jones and it kind of starts out seeming like it's just going to be about like how Pepe the Frog was created and all that. And it does go into that. And it, it, you know matt fury who created pepe the frog is a big part of that they talked to him about like where it came from and how he feels about like all the stuff that's happened to him since then because pepe the frog was never really like when he was created this was not the matt fury's intention he, it was right. just like a it was just a cute comic strip character that he liked that was kind of just you know a dude like an ordinary dude uh-huh. and he thought it was like fun and cute and that's all he intended it to be and then it just kind of you know took off on the internet when viral got a whole life of its own and what i found really interesting about this documentary is how it uses this character and kind of what happened to him as a jumping off point to talk about so much of just internet culture and especially like viral and meme culture it talks about like the rise of 4chan kind of you know and how yeah. that became a such a like went from being just like a bunch of weirdos like off on the fringes to becoming like a more uh powerful force and like you know how a symbol gets repurposed over and over and like it goes off in different ways and just goes in unpredictable directions like it it ends up being about so much and the fact that it while you're watching it it's very like easy to understand everything that's going on I think is even just that as a credit to uh the director kind of being able to put this all together really neatly and yeah it's just I just found it to be really interesting like it's I don't know like these are topics that I kind of find interesting in general so maybe if you don't, I don't know if you yeah. would, but yeah. It sounds like I it, it could be really
0: infuriating too.
1: Infuriating in what sense? Like,
0: just all the 4chan and alt right uh, types of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, they interview a guy from 4chan, they interview a guy that, like, was, uh, like, part of the Trump campaign. So, like, yeah, they're, if you're, like, if. if <laughs> If that kind of thing makes your blood boil, then for sure there are but parts where you'll just be like, "Ah, oh, screw these people."
0: Does the movie include the footage of Richard Spencer getting socked in the mouth?
1: I don't. <laughs>
0: Do you ever? He was talking about Pepe the Frog at that Actually, moment. I think it might at the moment he gets punched in the mouth. I saw
1: this a few weeks ago now, so I can't say for sure. But I think that I think that it might.
0: Which, by the way, that happened while we were at Sundance 2017.
1: Oh, so we missed the actually we missed actually the biggest movie of that winter, which was that video, which went around.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh everywhere. yeah, no, I watched that was, I watched that 45 times at Sundance this year <laughs> that year on my phone. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, disappointingly, uh, you know, obviously, feels good. Maybe Pepe the Frog has become a uh, an alt right icon. Unfortunately, an icon of the left once again has a terrible movie made about her. I was just wondering like
1: what the segue was yeah, there. Just All like
0: what right. well, la- last year, two years ago, we had two bad Ruth Bader Ginsburg movies this year. We are getting a pretty much terrible glorious Dino movie called the glorious directed by Julie Taymor um, in which uh, it's called the glorious because uh, uh, there are four different actresses, two children and then Alicia Vikander and Julianne Moore who play her at, at, at different ages. And the sort of, bookmarks of the movie the chapter stops or whatever it cuts to this footage of the four of them and sometimes other women and sometimes not on a bus we don't they're on the way to a march or whatever and they're talking about um their life and and how they changed over time um and that stuff actually is uh, uh it's the most julie taymore because it's the most fantastical uh stuff and it's some of the better stuff in the movie the idea of talking to like um the you know teenage gloria steinem talking about how like uh, well at my age I always thought that I would grow up to marry and have children you know and, and then Julianne Moore who uh, you know Gloria Stendham, did eventually marry uh, but never had any children and so talking about how Looking at how uh, your 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 desires and your goals and your ambitions change over time. As someone who, when I was a teenager, assumed that I wanted kids when I grew up, and now here I am at 37 years old and it hasn't kicked in. I have no desire to have children, and, say, and neither does my wife, so I don't think it's going to happen. Um, that stuff's interesting. The problem is that that's not the bulk of the movie. Oh. The bulk of the movie is just the most pandering, superficial, catchphrase-spouting, ridiculous just sort of parade of like and then she met Dolores Huerta and then she like it's just like this sort of like is it one
1: uh, of those biopics that feels like you're just reading a Wikipedia page
0: but no because the Wikipedia page at least attempts some level of non-bias like that. Oh, okay. Those are boring. This <laughs> is a hagiography. It's, uh-huh, it's, uh-huh. it's just every moment of like, look how great she was. Oh, look at this one. Mo- and of course the Sundance crowd being the Sundance crowd applauded throughout the movie, constantly applauding, standing ovation at the end because, uh, I guess they like being pandered to, uh, some of these people, but, um, I, I don't need, I already know that as a liberal, I'm right. Um, that's kind of tongue in cheek because uh, that's kind of a parody of uh, the problem with liberals is they all uh, uh, condescend. We all condescend, I should say. But I'm, our, I feel that I'm right about the things that that, that I agree with. Gloria Steinem on uh, 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 about equality and about the woman's right to choose and uh, and, and and all these things. And I don't need a two-hour and fifteen-minute movie to reassure me that I'm right and that's all it's there to do uh is is to allow people who already agree with Gloria Steinem to pat themselves on the back
1: well maybe this year's other Gloria Steinem project will be better what's the other one uh it's actually a tv show it's called Mrs. America I believe yeah and uh it's actually about Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly okay and Rose Byrne plays Gloria Steinem so okay yeah
0: that sounds very interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. We're getting two a Glorious a movie and a Glorious a TV show. Yeah, although aren't we all- I think
1: this one, she's a supporting character. But oh, okay.
0: Because yeah. aren't we also getting this year an Aretha Franklin movie and an Aretha Franklin TV show? Are we? There's respect is the movie. Right. And then isn't there the National Geographic, like they do those genius miniseries? I have no idea Aren't about they doing an the Aretha Franklin one? I, I, I believe you. I don't know. Um, that's interesting. All right. So that's, uh, the glories. we're doing a good job of like trading off here.
1: We are, um, but we're not doing a good job of going fast. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to keep things a little bit more succinct. Okay. All right. So the next one that we're going to talk about is horse girl, which is the latest film by Jeff Baina, who has directed life after Beth, Joshi and the little hours. And it stars, it's a drama about this, uh, stereotypical horse girl played by Alison Brie, who's like kind of awkward and like already kind of seems like she's not really great at, just like being a person in the world and then as the movie goes on either she is losing her mind or something really supernatural and very weird is happening to her it's not a horror movie it's more just like kind of fantastical and very strange she starts to become convinced that like some sort of alien abduction time travel-ish situation might be happening um and Alison Brie, I will say, is very good. Um, She, it's, she, she, I think she said that she was inspired by, like, a history of mental illness in her own family or something like that, so, and she's very good, she's very good, she brings a lot of sensitivity to the role, but at the, and I was not, like, bored or, like, oh, I hate this or anything, which (laughs) I felt that way during the little hour, so already that's an improvement. (laughs) However, like, at the end of it, I was kind of like, okay, like, I feel like, Sure, that was that was fine, but I don't really understand what the
0: point was.
1: So it's not bad, but I would say not my favorite either.
0: All right, well now we can talk about when we we both saw, uh, which was one of my three most anticipated movies of the, of the festival probably. And oh, okay. Um, Miranda July's Kajillionaire. Yes. I'm a big Miranda July stan. So am And, I. Uh, and this one didn't disappoint. Oh. Uh, I when, loved it. When
1: you said this one didn't, I got like really scared for a second. I was like, yeah. oh no, we're going to fight about Kajillionaire. Oh
0: no, yeah. I uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, what did you think? You I also loved it. enjoyed it. Yes. yes. Um, and I kind
1: of expected I would. Like, I really like Miranda July. Her brand of kind of oddness is something that I feel very dialed into. So, I anticipated that on I'd like it,
0: and I did. Yeah, her honest, but also her like she has a. She, I feel like she takes the sort of interactions and and the human sort of rituals that we all take for granted and yeah. observe every day, and uh, you know views them like an alien would, but also a compassionate alien. Yes. Like she thinks. I think she thinks we're all strange, but she also kind of loves us. Yes. I think is, is how I feel. And that's why I like one of the many reasons, I like Miranda July. One of the other reasons, and I wrote, wrote up about this in my review is three feature films in, like I now consider her a Los Angeles filmmaker because all her films are set in Los Angeles and aren't like, Shy about the fact that they're set in Los Angeles. They don't try to be like every town, USA. They're Los Angeles movies.
1: Yes. Oh, uh, so I, I guess like we that. should say a little bit about what the premise is. Yes, so, so. Um, Evan Rachel Wood plays the main character, whose name is Old Dolio. Yeah. And she is the daughter of two kind of small time scammers. Like, they just go through life not having steady jobs, just kind of running these weird little. Cons and grifts, and that's yep. how they kind of scrape by.
0: Played by Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger, who are yep. great together.
1: Yep. And then uh, then this is just how they've been carrying on their lives until one day a uh, woman played by um,
0: Gina Rodriguez. Yes,
1: Gina Rodriguez kind of enters their lives and gets involved in these scams. And then I think through her, old Dolu starts to kind of see what else her life could become. And I and it's just uh Evan Rachel Wood I thought was incredible in this yep. like you she is she is it is one of those performances where as soon as you kind of see even the way she's standing without her talking you already are like okay I feel like I connect to this character I feel like I kind of can already see what she's about and like you feel like you have such an understanding of her and it's it's it's, it's definitely a movie that made me cry it's very yeah, like
0: very sweet it's
1: very very tender very mm-hmm. very like soft very very sweet it also kind of is a it, it it's i really have a soft spot for movies about people who really need love, but don't know how to go about expressing or accepting that kind of love. Like this I, is a, this is so I, I tweeted
0: about this because one of the defining characteristics of old Dolio is that she does not like to be touched. And I relate to that so hard as someone who does not like to be touched. Um, right. Uh, by, you know, my wife is the, the maybe the one uh, <laughs> exception to that rule. And she's um, looking for
1: that one exception because yeah, like, she exactly. doesn't like to be touched, but it's clear that she has this like really like, you know, deep yearning for this kind of human connection and the the movie is about the process of her kind of figuring out how she might go about getting that. Also, there are a lot of earthquakes. I wanted to bring that up because you mentioned that it's an LA set film and yes, they talk about earthquakes constantly, which we also do in LA.
0: Yes. Uh, And then uh, last thing, I won't, I won't spoil anything. The, when we finally get the explanation for why her name is Old Dolio, which is like three quarters of the way into the movie, right. I laughed so hard.
1: You <laughs> uh, laugh, but it's also very sad. Which is, is like A lot of this yeah. movie is like, it is very funny, but very sad. And I think that a lot of her movies kind of like feel that way to me. Not necessarily that they're all like downers, because I don't think this is a downer either, but just in the way that they, you know, are, I'm sorry. They're deeply felt. Deeply David. felt.
0: Yeah. Hey, it wasn't me, but it's in my head now because yeah. someone tweeted about it. Uh, all right, uh, you're up next with one of the one of the uh, my biggest disappointments that I didn't see. It was one of the ones I really okay. wanted to see at the festival right. one didn't see.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the last thing he wanted, which is a new movie by Dee Reese who did Mudbound and Pariah. So she's someone who's kind of done a lot of really excellent movies before. It stars Anne Hathaway and Ben Affleck and Willem Dafoe. Great cast. It's based on a novel by Joan Didion. So also Mm -hmm. like, you know, promising source material. And then the movie is like, what happened here? Really? Yeah. uh, So the, so do you blame
0: Anne Hathaway being blonde? Is that, I
1: do not blame Anne Hathaway (laughs) being blonde. She does seem like kind of odd casting, but the main, so the main problem with that, the movie is just uh, that it feels like, I don't I just literally don't understand what is happening in this movie. It, the way I described it on Twitter immediately afterward is that it kind of just feels like if you turn on the TV to like a random scene in a random show that's already been going for like 7 seasons and you're okay. like I'm sure this makes sense in context, but then when you watch it, you're like when I watch this whole movie I'm like no, I watched the whole thing there is no context in the movie that makes any of these scenes make sense. Like isolated you're like okay, maybe 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 some of this will kind of be explained later and no so basically, she plays an investigative journalist who is made to carry out her a deal for her father, played by Willem Dafoe, who's an arms dealer. And then, she you knows so then that takes her to Central America and it just becomes this whole nightmarish thing. But I don't know. That's all. That's what I that's what I'm going to tell you about it, because I don't really know what happened here. I all don't right. know. It feels like it was a much longer movie that they cut down is kind of what it feels like. I don't mm. know if that's actually true, but that's the only way that I can come up with for why like it feels like there's so little connective tissue holding any of the scenes together
0: well uh that gives us more time to talk about one of the best movies of the festival the and keeping up my track record of the last movie that i see it's at sundance every year being great the last movie i saw was minari
1: it was not the last movie i saw but i also love that one
0: yeah it's uh, um and i didn't know much about it uh i i, I knew the basic uh, i knew that steven Yeun w- was in it and uh uh That he played a that he's the the father of a Korean family who moved to Arkansas in in the 1980s, which I actually didn't know um, going in. Two movies at Sundance this year about fathers uprooting their families to places they don't want to go in the 1980s. What's <laughs> so, the other one? Uh, the Nest.
1: Oh, well, I will <laughs> say this one is not some in the 1980s, but uh, uh, Downhill is also about a dad oh, yeah. dragging his family to somewhere they're not all sure they want to be, and then kind of, you know, being a terrible dad is there. <laughs>
0: um, Steven
1: Yoon is not a terrible dad of Benari, though. No, He's not at kind all. Of, uh,
0: He's a good, everyone in the movie is a good person for the most part, which is something that I like. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, it has this sort of big premise. He's like he's moving his family to rural Arkansas to start a farm growing Korean vegetables in Arkansas right. to sell to... Uh, well Dallas at first uh uh he's that's his first uh choice is uh to sell to Korean markets in Dallas and then ends up being Oklahoma City but anyway right. I'm getting ahead of myself uh it has so it has this sort of big like premise like you understand like what the conflicts are and what the character's goals are but then the way it unfolds is not uh a, a, a clear sort of like you know uh Aristotelian or three-act type of like structure it's It's it very much follows its own path, follows its 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 characters um, on on their personal. Journeys and it very much takes its time. When, while not being a super long movie, it's like right about two hours, just a it's little not super under long, two hours.
1: And it's not super slow either. Like it's not one of those movies where you're like, let's just gaze into the sunset for five hours and contemplate life. Like things Which happen. I like, and whatnot. <laughs> I like them too, but it's, I'm just saying that that's not kind of the vibe of this movie. A but lot it
0: feels of it is, like I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like ahead. there's, I feel like there's a lot of time just spent. Uh, in the sort of that heavy southern air and you can hear the like a big part when I think about this movie it having been a few weeks now uh having since seen it the first thing I think of is the sound of like like crickets and and like yeah. the, the 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 sounds outside in the yeah. quiet town yeah sorry I interrupted
1: you I do know I was just I I really like this movie it's a movie that is is—it like, there are parts of it that almost feel like a comedy. Cause like their grandma comes to live with them and there's lots <laughs> of like cute, you know, like misunderstandings or just cute grandma, grandkid stuff. Like there's, you know, it's also drama. I, I think it just feels very lifelike. And actually for me personally, one of the reasons it feels very lifelike is because I was a Korean American, you know, I was, I was the child of Korean immigrants growing up in the 1980s. Right. And, uh, You know, my we did not live in like rural Midwest or anything like that. We lived in L.A., but I think but one of the things that that really stood out to me as just someone who happened to have that background was the language in it is very, very correct, by which I mean, like, when I usually watch Korean movies, I have to understand subtitles because, like, I, my understanding of Korean is not very good and very limited to a very specific kind of, like, the kind of conversations that you would have with your parents when you are a kid. When I watched Minari, oh, right. I was like, oh, I don't need subtitles for the first time I've ever seen a Korean movie because... <laughs> They are using exactly the kind of language that I learned because this kid is like around my age at around the time period where like I would have also been learning this language. I don't know. That's kind of just a random personal anecdote. But to me, that does speak to how uh, well steeped it is in this very, very, very specific culture in this time, and this place and these specific characters. Uh, I, I just thought that 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 like that realizing that made me realize like oh there's a level of detail here that i really really admire
0: there's also uh i um i i can't speak too deeply about this because i'm not a, a religious person but there's a very religious aspect to the movie not the, i don't know that the movie itself is religious but so so much of it seems to be about the character's relationship to to god because yeah. and the, not in a way
1: that is kind of didactic or you know or like Kind of building it up or tearing it down too much. It's just kind of a part of their lives.
0: Yeah, it, well, you've got so Stephen Young's character doesn't pray at all.
1: He seems the, to be non-religious.
0: Yeah, but the mother and the children pray. You know, before bed they have a very sort of like uh, uh, not rigid, but they have like this is the time and place to pray. And weirdly, that time and place is not church. They go. To, they view church more as a as a as a social opportunity, an opportunity to uh, make friends in town. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty common for. You know, like I think that's a big function of church for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but then you've got Will Patton, the actor Will Patton, uh, plays uh, a neighbor who ends up helping Stephen Young's character on his farm, and he's someone who also doesn't go to church, but constantly talks to God and Jesus throughout the entire movie. Uh, and I feel like you're seeing all these different sort of forms of like relationships with 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 God in the natural world, yeah. uh, in, in and outside of the structure in which we usually see them. I don't have enough insight to really know what. To say about it, but it was something that very very much caught my eye about the movie.
1: I mean, I think that's just another one of those kind of very uh, empathetic details that makes it work. And then, I don't know, just, I guess, I guess partly because it was, it reflected certain aspects of my own experience very well. One thing I appreciate about it is that it kind of is a story about, about, you know, it's about immigrants in America, but it feels like it's coming very, it doesn't treat them like they're kind of outsiders or like, it's not like a really a fish out of water type story. It's not about a culture clash. It's just, it just, it just kind of takes for granted that these are these people in these lives. And I really appreciate
0: that angle of it as well. Yeah, I guess. uh, Sorry, we we should we should keep going. But yeah, the uh, the but the I feel like they don't they they get sort of treated as outsiders and uh, a little bit when they first go into town. But there's also not the uh, I I was braced for like the horribly racist thing to happen to them, and that never happens. But they're they also are all like the. The even the friend the boy makes like still thinks uh, is, is still thinks that the uh, the Korean kid is weird.
1: I mean, I guess I meant more that like the perspective feels very steeped in like these people's point of view, as opposed to like the film treating them like, oh, this is not going to be a movie about outsiders and immigration and culture clash. Like yeah, it's uh, a movie just about these people, and they happen to be immigrants into not fit in in some ways but they do fit in, in other ways and it's just kind of about that anyway sorry right. that went really long
0: but it's one of the best all right uh we you know we don't have to talk about Miss Americana almost at all because it's already out and people have seen it but yes uh, but I will
1: say it's I liked a good it. movie I'm wearing a Taylor Swift shirt right now oh, actually cool. yeah.
0: uh well yeah I'm a I'm a fan of Taylor Swift and uh I was a fan of this movie I think um the if you haven't seen it yet the through line is sort of her political awakening all right Quit rushing me. Um, uh, uh, But I would say some of the most insightful stuff is just seeing her at work.
1: Yeah, it's really Uh, interesting about her job and her celebrity and her self-image as relates to those things. All
0: right, so next up is... uh, My my next two are my favorite movies. Oh, God, you get to rest for a little bit, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I sure do. You don't. Go on. All right, so my next two are my two favorite movies of the festival. The first one, uh, Eliza Hitman's Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is... uh, Eliza Hitman made uh, Beach Rats a a couple years back, which got a lot of attention. I didn't uh, love it, but I did think it was it was uh, beautifully shot. And this one is very much the, the, the same, but, um, it's a movie, uh, about, uh, uh takes place in the present day and a, a teenage girl in small town, Pennsylvania gets pregnant and she and her cousin decide to, cause they can't get, uh, an, a, an abortion in Pennsylvania without, um, or a minor can't get an abortion without the parents say so. So they take the bus up to New York city and, um, and it's about their attempts to get an abortion, uh, and how even with the legality of it and with the opportunity that they have a mere three and a half hour bus ride, getting an abortion is not easy. Even in a city like New York where, uh, you've you, in theory, the, the law is helping. Even when you get to a place where you can get an abortion, it's, it's, it's not easy, but the movie that you use the word didactic talked about the last movie, it's not didactic at all. It's about these characters and, uh, it's um, a, a movie again, you've got pretty much a full two hours here, but there's very little, there's a relatively little dialogue. It's, it's mostly about these, these friends um, or co- cousins um, weathering this together. And, and there's not the big sort of emotional display of like, I've always got your back cause or whatever, but like you can tell that they do like there's yeah. this, this love between them and this uh, experience, which is not, Uh, A happy one for either of them is is bringing them closer together. It's a very, very beautiful uh, movie um, and also very sad. All right. Next up is my favorite movie of the festival. Just barely edging out. Never rarely, sometimes, always. And that's Sean Durkin's The Nest. Um, Like like Miranda July, Sean Durkin has not made a feature film since 2011. Uh, That feature film was Martha Marcy May Marlene. And uh, uh, I, I, I like this one for a lot of the same reasons like Martha Marcy May Marlene. I talked about, uh, I just have weird things that like, Work for me. Obviously, I talked about sad sex earlier. That's not what this one is. Uh, movies that aren't really horror movies, but employ horror tactics. Okay. And I feel like Martha Marcy May Marlene had a lot yeah, of that yeah, horror yeah, type sure. tension. This one's the same. Jude Law plays uh, a character who has moved to America and married a uh, uh, an American woman played by Carrie Coon, also blonde like Anne Hathaway. Uh, <laughs> and uh, at the beginning of the movie, you know, they uh, have a beautiful house in like. I, I I don't know <laughs> one of the suburbs of New York city. I don't know. What's a fancy suburb of New York city. You used to live there like Westchester, Westchester. Let's say they live in Westchester, that type of place. Sure. And then, but, uh, work's drying up for him. So he re he uproots his family and moves them back to the London where he came from. where he can go back to work for his old, his old firm, uh, and, uh, hopefully continue to try to lead the incredibly expensive, lavish lifestyle that he's used to. And that his, he's accustomed his, his family to, uh, uh um, um barely, uh go so well, and so it's a movie about a family of sort of very, very slowly and in very understill, natural, human, relatable ways falling apart. Again, a real uh, <laughs> much like never. Sometimes it really sounds sometimes like there always, might be some uh, sad
1: sex in this yeah. one
0: too. <laughs> you know what? Actually, there probably is some sad sex. Um, but also he rents them this big old, uh, uh centuries old mansion that very much comes to feel like a haunted house there are there are unexplained noises there are doors that open when they shouldn't and there's there's all this horror stuff It's not a horror movie but i like the idea that if your life is as miserable as these characters are you might as well be in a horror movie yeah speaking of horror movies um david bruckner's the night house i had not liked david bruckner's previous feature the ritual um which was the uh uh, did you see the ritual? I did not. Sort of like a pre-Midsummer, like bros go on a, a bro trip and uh, discover a uh, violent cult, like a cult society type of thing, but not as good as Midsummer. Obviously, uh, The Night House is a different type of horror movie. It's the increasingly common horror movie that's really about grief. Uh, in that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is its uh, own category. Yeah. Now, huh?
1: Like subcategory.
0: Yeah. So Rebecca Hall plays a woman who's, uh, when we meet her, her character, her character, her husband, her character's husband has committed suicide mere days beforehand, but, uh, it doesn't take long for him to start perhaps showing up in their house, the house that he, uh, designed and, and built for, for them. Um, he suddenly the, uh, she gets text messages from him that say, come downstairs he the uh their song their wedding song will suddenly in the middle of the night start playing very loud on the stereo um and then she uh looks out the window at the lake uh where which is where he rode out to the lake to shoot himself and oh is that him um and i'm it feels like i might be giving stuff away i'm i'm not there's a a lot more stuff to this and i feel like the people who i hate sometimes i hate reacting this is why i talked about uh, uh knowing too much about how other people feel i hate reacting to other people's reviews okay. but i feel like the people who have gone into this focused on the mystery element of it like is she gonna uncover what's really going on here and what her husband was before she uh before he died like those people are i guess rightfully disappointed because the movie doesn't really wrap all that stuff up but i don't think it needs to it's about what this woman's personally and emotionally goes through. And it's also about the fact that it's fucking scary, Angie. And it does something that only that I, it really works for me in terms of horror. Cause I love being scared and something that is, I think difficult for even good horror mov- horror movie directors to do sometimes is to not just have a big scare, but to sustain a scare. Oh. And there's, there's one of these scenes, these wake up in the middle of the night scenes in which, for minutes on end scary shit just keeps happening and it doesn't get old uh and um i felt like i was gonna have a heart attack it was uh uh the exactly my kind of scary movie so david bruckner you have done it all right and then uh well i guess this movie has a little bit of horror in it too uh i watched a very silly movie but also a movie that's about the fact that we're Uh, As humanity, we are on the path to complete annihilation. Oh, fun. Um, It's a movie called Omniboat, a fast boat fantasia, which is a movie that uh, is directed by a whole bunch of different directors. It's an omnibus movie, anthology movie, all centered. Every, every one of the short films in the movie um, focuses or takes place on or around or involves uh, a specific speedboat, Um, uh, uh, which uh, the, this, it's a film filmmaking collective out of my, uh, Miami called Borscht Corp or Corporation, and they like basically created a sales pitch to try and get someone to buy them a speedboat so they can make a movie about it. And then <laughs> someone did buy them a speedboat, and they were like, "Oh fuck, we got to make a movie about the speedboat." So they got all their friends to make uh, a bunch of short films. Um, I don't know; the movie doesn't have like clear credits of like who directed what. I know uh, as far as the only real big name that I knew going in is the the Daniels who made Swiss Army Man. Right, right. Uh, uh, worked on it but um it's a very all over the place movie in terms of in terms of quality but also in terms of tone some of these are very comedic some of them are overtly horrific some of them are just plain weird some of them are avant-garde there's like a a a really long sort of like everglades interpretive dance sequence that goes it's like late in the movie and it goes on for quite a while um it's it's a it's a it's a bizarre movie does not have a Uh, a straightforward uh, plot. It it does have a a, a backbone, a through line in which uh, Mel Rodriguez plays like a Donald Trump type, trying to build a new um, uh, high rise condo tower in Mm -hmm. Miami as Miami is sinking into the ocean. Uh, Yeah. uh,
1: Sounds like they got good use out of that boat.
0: Uh, yeah, and it yeah. Well spent. And this is definitely I think like Omnibot would definitely be something like watch it at home, like watch it when you can stream it. Like you don't need to go to the theater to see Omniboat, but you'll have a good time watching it maybe in chunks or whatever. All it's right. a fun time. All right. All right. I get to take a bra- breather for a minute. here.
1: You do. So I'm going to talk about Palm Springs, which is a, a movie directed by Max Barbakow and is also kind of a Lonely Island movie. It stars Andy okay. Samberg and I believe was produced by Andy Samberg and the other two Lonely Island dudes. And it's basically the...
0: And the other guy. Akiva Schaefer. No. Oh, yes.
1: Akiva. Akiva.
0: Sha- it is yeah, Akiva Schaefer. Yeah, yeah. Not okay. Akiva okay. Goldsman. No, no, no. I did yeah. have a
1: second one like, <laughs> no, that's the other one. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you guys are listening, I'm, we're very sorry. Um, so <laughs> the, kind of really the awesome. basic premise of it is basically Groundhog Day as a rom-com. So Andy Samberg uh, and Christine Milioti play the two main Uh, love interests and basically they are stuck in a time loop and it's about that and i found it to be it's one where i didn't really know what to expect like the program had even hidden the groundhog day twist and then i and then by the time i saw it i'd seen enough people call it that that i knew to expect some kind of time loop thing um but i still wasn't really sure like okay what does that mean and uh it 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 ended up being really interesting it ended up being one of the ones that ones that i really liked the most at the festival and one of the movies that when people Keep asking me like, what? What should I be excited about? Out of Sundance, like, it's a movie that I'm very excited for other people to see. Okay. And I think it's a it's it's just, it's a rom com, but it seems like one of those rom coms that is for cynics without being too snarky or too saccharine. Because uh, it kind of it, it just it's it's about how this time loop situation creates this feeling for those characters of just like we are stuck here. There's nothing we do that nothing we do matters. Like everything is meaningless. Like nothing means anything or is important or whatever and it's and even though we are not stuck in a time loop obviously I think it's a feeling that a lot of people have had at some point in their lives or maybe even go through their lives kind of feeling that and it's it's about kind of when that is the universe that you are living in like what what is the point of love like what could it even possibly do so it's, it ends up being about that it's very funny not like pop star funny like it's not that kind of broad humor but there are a lot of you know like I laughed quite a bit and then I cried a little bit oh. it's also very very sweet like I, th- I think the ro- romance part of it really works the leads have really good chemistry so this is one that I'm really excited about and I guess other people are too because again it was a record setting deal yeah made it so yes so we'll see
0: Alright, uh, I won't talk much about The Perfect Candidates. New film from Haifa El Mansour. It's a Saudi Arabian film uh, about a woman who's a doctor who can't wait to get out of her small town, but then essentially accidentally ends up running for the town council and becomes sort of a voice for not only the positive changes she wants to see, but being like, she becomes a symbol for women running for office and looking for power in Saudi Arabia, where uh, that's uh, even harder to do than it is here, I guess. Um, but it's just... Uh, it's not bad the performances are good but it just feels uh aesthetically it feels like a like a third rate basic cable cable drama you know it's it's not interesting to 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 look at it's not that interestingly uh cut together um it's just the movie just feels kind of flat and i feel like i want to give it points for its heart and i do but i can't really recommend it uh on the podcast called Battleship Pretension. It's not pretentious enough.
1: (laughs) Sorry to hear that. Okay. I have like five in a row, although I think you're going to help me with one of them. Yes. So first, we're going to literally roll up my sleeves and we're going to these. Yes. So first, uh, we have Promising Young Woman. That one is one that for Sunnets movie had more hype than usual going into it because they'd already released a trailer. So I think oh, that was one okay. where, I, at least for me, it was one of the ones where I had a better idea of what to expect. Although it ended up not being quite what I expected in a way that I really appreciated. So it's kind of a rape revenge film. Carrie Mulligan is the main character and she is... She has something clearly very bad has happened to her, like at some point in the past. And it takes a while to kind of piece together what what exactly it was. And then she, when you meet her, is kind of going around town, picking up dudes and then doing and kind of just like scaring them. It's like a it's a it's a whole thing, but it, mm-hmm. it's a. It ends up being a movie that is very much just about. It's not so much about like her, like what happened to her, as how it, she reacts and how that has shaped her whole worldview. It's very, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes, like it, like in a darkly comedic way. Like, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of dudes that you like are in this movie, and a lot of them play hmm. really horrible people. Like um, uh, Sam Richardson from Veep is in it, and oh. like uh, Bo Burnham, the guy who directed Eighth Grade, is in it. Like. So that part of it is really funny and well observed, but it's also, you know, it's a little bit not like scary, scary. It's not a horror movie, but there's a little bit of that kind of edginess to it. And it's also ends up being really deeply sad in a lot of ways. Uh, And it takes some turns that I really did not expect. And that took me by surprise. And it's one that I don't know how to talk that much about because I don't want to say too much about what happens, but I'm very curious to talk to some people once it comes out. I think that the reasons I liked it might be some the reason that some people will really dislike it, but we'll talk about it later then.
0: That sounds like something I'm very excited to see. Do you know when it comes out?
1: Uh, I believe in March, so we don't okay. have to wait too. Don't have to long. wait too long. Yeah, right. that's why the trailer came out, because it it's it's coming right. out pretty soon. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Shirley. Do you want to take this one? Cause yeah, I have a because this was
0: uh, my top three. I mentioned Kajillionaire being one of my top three. The others were Shirley and Weirdly Miss Americana, because I like Taylor Swift, uh, were my top three wow. uh, most anticipated. Not my top three movies of the first. Top three most anticipated. Um, but Shirley, yeah, also, uh, like Kajillionaire, didn't disappoint. Um, uh, it, it's uh, It's a... Elizabeth Moss plays Shirley Jackson, and right. and uh, um, Michael Storg plays her husband Stanley. Do you remember?
1: No, I, we can I can't remember. Stanley, it's okay.
0: Hyman, does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that does sound right. Um, and uh, who are real who are real real people? But this this movie is a fictionalized idea of how Shirley Jones uh, Shirley Jones uh, <laughs> Shirley Jackson came to write her I think uh, first novel or second novel Hangs a Man. Um, The premise is that a younger couple and uh, a new like adjunct professor at the same college as Stanley and his wife come to live with them. And while the boys are off professoring, uh, the um, young woman and and Shirley develop a sort of contentious alliance. I wouldn't call it a friendship, although it becomes more of a friendship as it goes on. They just
1: develop a very odd relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
0: um, That kind of leads to. Uh, or helps lead to Shirley Jackson writing her her novel.
1: Yes, I do want to say that like it it's got really it's got strong who's afraid of Virginia Woolf vibes. I think uh-huh. that's a good way to describe it, right? Oh, it's, sure, like, yeah. It's the, just about this like older couple that are kind of horrible and yeah, just like fucking lit- with this younger literary couple. Literary and
0: horrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, um uh but also uh like I said with the nest, there's definitely some sort of horror type of uh, there's some tension, some sort of like uh, I, I know it's not uh, I'm sure Josephine Decker wouldn't like the we, we, it's not woke to compare her to Roman Polanski but it feels like a Roman Polanski movie at, uh, at a lot of points to me and it's sort of like internalized sort of like uh, panic and, and sort of psychological horror uh, um, that, that it, it felt Polanski-esque to me
1: yeah uh elizabeth moss i thought was incredible and she's one of those actors kind of like adam driver where she's consistently incredible but she's also so incredible that somehow after each performance i'm still surprised all over again by how good she is <laughs> she is exceptionally good in this like i really liked her and then odessa young who plays the younger woman i thought was also very very good
0: yeah and i liked her in assassination nation i'm on the fence as to whether i liked assassination i didn't nation. see that one it's that uh, was the big
1: sale last year, wasn't it? Assassination
0: Nation. No, it
1: was last year. It was
0: last year. I think. Wow. I think so. Anyway, um,
1: but yeah, I mean, it was a movie that I walked out being like, I feel like I have, I feel like I really liked it. So I'm not saying I didn't, but I feel like oh, yeah. you know how sometimes you walk out and you're like, I feel like I need to piece this together in my mind. Like I feel like I haven't quite cracked it, and I never felt like I quite did. But it's a really interesting look at um, at genius and at womanhood, and uh, you know. Uh, motherhood, I guess, to a certain extent, and kind of all these different things that go into the stew that was Shirley Jackson.
0: Yeah, it's a very like with Josephine Decker, it's a very tactile film. Uh, You kind of feel like you can feel their house and sometimes in gross ways because Shirley Jackson tends to spend long days at a time in bed without shaving or shaving uh, showering or changing the sheets or whatever. And the movie sometimes feels very gross. uh, um, And there's a lot of sort of intense close-ups. The opening shot, it just like sort of tracks up her matted hair as she's laying in bed and then finds her her face and that feels very Josephine Decker. Uh, Yeah, I really, really liked it. Definitely top five movies of the festival for me. All right, you've got a few more.
1: Yeah, it's one of my top five too. Um, All right, okay, we're going to talk about The Social Dilemma, which is another documentary, also about tech, because... I watched a bunch of those this year. So this one's directed by Jeff Orlowski and it's basically a documentary about the dangers of social media. Um, And he kind of, he interviews a lot of people who are tech industry insiders for this, which is really interesting. Like he interviews people who used to be really high up at like Google and Facebook and Pinterest and stuff like that. And you kind of get from them like a better understanding of kind of uh, how these platforms have been made to manipulate us and how good they are at it and why that's harmful. So it's actually, it actually, I saw it the same day as that other one I was talking about, about the algorithms. Yeah, coded bias. Um, And they kind of made for an interesting double feature. They even share one of the talking heads, which is a woman (laughs) named Kathy O'Neill who wrote a book about, about algorithms and how they're biased, called weapons of math destruction. Um, anyway, Good so one. right, uh, so and and then interwoven with that is this kind of like fictionalized story about like a little nuclear family who is struggling with tech addiction or whatever. And like that part was the worst part of it. Like it felt very kind of you remember when you're growing up and then like your teacher would wheel a VCR into your classroom. Cause we're Jeff or David yeah. and I are very old. They had VCRs back then. And then like you would watch something that they had made for school. So for to kids to Jeff. watch.
0: Why did you call me Jeff?
1: I think I was looking at the director's oh, okay. name. <laughs> you're
0: David. I understand yes. you're
1: not whoever Jeff is. Um, it just, it feels like one of those things that was made to be an educational video, like the, the kind of fictionalized part of it. Like it feels very, very phony. And in a way, like in a way that I thought really detracted from the film because it made it feel like I was, was watching an educational video which like i feel like as a kid who watched them you kind of already don't inherently don't trust them that much do you know Uh what i mean so even though there's a lot of really good information in it and even though like he clearly has a lot of experts who know what they're talking about like i thought that part of it kind of undermined it that said the talking heads would you know, like it is interesting to get this really inside perspective on it. And uh, I do think the, that if you if you decide to watch these two back to back, they will form a complete picture. Also throw and feel good man in there. Because, yeah, there you go. That's the whole Internet right now, I guess. <laughs> OK, so that's a wrap on that one. We Speaking are Speaking social
0: media, right? Uh,
1: yes, I guess that's true. We're going to talk about Spree,
0: which I missed by three people.
1: That is very sad.
0: It was three, got, got shut out of the, the P and I, that's press industry for those who don't know, uh, the P and I screening by three people ended up seeing a movie that was bad instead. I'm we'll sorry to, to hear that. Yeah.
1: Uh, spree is, um, a movie starring Joe Curie of stranger things as this dude who is extremely desperate to go viral and kind of be in a social media influencer. And he has a job as a ride share driver and, uh, decides he's going to start kind of, like, he's going to go on a killing spree, basically, to become viral. So that's kind of, that is the premise of the movie. It's directed by Eugene Kotliarenko. I think I'm saying that wrong, and I have not seen a movie of his before. But one of the things that, it's one of those, movies that is i guess you could call it found footage although what's kind of interesting about it at this point is that like back in the day found footage was very like where are these people always filming themselves it's so weird now it's a guy that's trying to be an influencer and even the other characters are always filming themselves or taking pictures of themselves or live streaming stuff because that's just how we live now so that aspect of it is really interesting um it's i mean i had a good time with it i wouldn't say that it was like mind-blowing I wouldn't say like oh I learned something really deep but I thought the I thought that him using that format was a really interesting way to do it there's some you know pretty pretty messed up kills and stabbings and stuff like that that are interesting and some interesting moments of tension. so yeah I mean I would say it's like a it's like a solidly good time I wouldn't say oh David you should just be live the rest of your life and regret that you missed it by three people but I do feel like if you get the chance to see it someday you should
0: all right uh hopefully I will um Oh, yeah. You're up again.
1: Yes, I am. up All right. Now we're going to talk about um, Us Kids, which is the which is a documentary by Kim A. Snyder about the Parkland teens. Um, And it it's it's okay. Like, to be honest, it's very moving just because the subject matter is inherently very moving. It's kind of about like them coming together after the shootings and like kind of going and becoming activists and also but also at the same time, just trying to figure out how to carry on with their lives after this event has occurred to them. That is so horrific and so tragic that it just derails everything about what life you thought you were going to lead. So it is, it is inherently very interesting because of that. That said, I think that it is maybe trying to do too many things, trying to cover too many people, trying to go in too many directions because it felt a little bit scattered. And there were definitely parts where I was like, I'm not really sure why we're focusing so much on this person who seems kind of really detached from the other stuff that's happening over there or like, what we're supposed to be getting out of this relationship or this event or anything. So it's, you know, it's interesting and it's, I think it's worth seeing just as a, because I feel like one of the things that we don't talk about as much with these tragedies is necessarily like how these people move on afterwards and what happens to them afterwards. So in that sense, I, I do think it's interesting and important, but I think as a documentary, I just wish it had been felt a little bit more streamlined and not as scattered.
0: All right, uh, real quick, I'll mention Vitalina Varela, which again we talked about in the TIFF episode. It's uh, one of the best movies of uh, the past couple of years, but it's um, it played in the um, in the Sundance New Frontiers, which is it's kind of like experimental, like uh, sort of section, which is very small and very much not what you think of when you think of Sundance. Sundance tends to be, you know, it doesn't have to be international art house movies. It tends to be largely American, and when when that American Indies, they're still uh, right. largely commercialish. Movie, you know narrative driven commercial movies Fidelina Varela is it has a narrative but it's it's very much international art house type of movie um, if you're lucky enough to live in one of the cities where it's playing it's opening over the next few weeks um, and it's uh, absolutely astounding it is the best movie I saw at TIFF last year and it would have be been my best my favorite movie of 2019 if it had come out uh, in 2019, but it's coming out in 2020. Uh, all right, so let's move on to a movie that neither of us un- saw at the festival, but we both saw the other night and didn't know we were in the same room.
1: Yeah, we were in a tiny screening room with like seven other people and somehow we still did not see each other in there. Yeah, uh, but it is called Wendy. It is a new film by Ben Zeitlin who did *Beast of the Southern Wild and it is called Wendy because it is, it is a retelling of Peter Pan. Yeah, um, except set in. Do, you, do they say where it's set? I don't know. Okay. It's set, like, somewhere vaguely Southern American.
0: In whatever sort of little, like... Romanticization of poverty world that lives in Ben Zeitland's mind. If you can't tell, I fucking hated it. Probably even worse than I hated Beast of the Southern Wild. (laughs) Yeah, I was
1: like, I started feeling that you didn't (laughs) love it. All right, so I did, I will say, like, toward the end, it picked up for me and there were parts that I even liked, but on the whole, like, ooh, I don't know. Um, It's very, it's, uh, it's a movie about the magic of childhood, but not. But, and it's, like, told from the perspective of a child, Wendy, mm-hmm. who is, like, in this, what, like, 12-ish?
0: I'm not good at that.
1: Okay, but she's, like, a, she's, I don't like, understand. She's, like a, she's, like, not, like, she's not, like,
0: Between, like, th- 4 and 13, that it's, like, all yes. the kind of... Yes, she's
1: same. old enough that she do, I don't think she's in kindergarten, but she's not, like, entered adolescence. So okay. she's, like, you know, let's sure. say she's, like, 10, 11, 12-ish. Anyway, the point is, so it's a, it's a point, it's a story about childhood and kind of letting go, because that is what Peter Pan is about. It is told from the perspective of this child, but... The stuff that they make her say, like she does that kind of like whispery narration thing. But like the stuff that they have her read is like, I'm like, no child wrote this. This Uh is bullshit. This is like when you go on Twitter and someone is like, my 11 year old just turned to me and said the most profound thing. And you're (laughs) like, fuck (laughs) off. That is not real. That's
0: exactly. And it's just,
1: and like, and like because of the stuff she says is like trying so hard to be profound. And like, because of like something about the aesthetic and like how kind of beautiful it looks. It felt like a Google ad. Am uh, crazy?
0: That, you that's know a, what I crazy? Mean? Do That's a great example because it feels like, I I don't want to cast aspersions. The only thing I know about Ben's Island is what I know through his movies, but he seems like he's full of shit. <laughs> like, I don't, he doesn't feel, uh, uh, everything that he does to create sort of quote unquote like magic feels very manufactured. It feels like it's, uh, uh, what's the word you're looking for? Like it's, reverse engineered like he's yeah. like he's like oh I'm gonna like, it feels uh, very
1: inauthentic like the magic yeah. in this doesn't feel authentic like and like I don't even know what that means maybe that's a bullshit sentence but like no it I just think that's a great like,
0: I mean that that's the good thing about being film critics is we don't have to be we can kind of just say who we feel it can be a little bit nebulous because we're talking about an art form oh
1: uh, <laughs> god yeah I mean I will say it is very very pretty but almost in a way that works against it because then again it looks so pretty that it doesn't actually feel like any any of this is like Kind of real, you know? Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's a movie for people who just like look off in the distance and they get so teared up thinking about the fact that they were a child once. And <laughs> you're just like, I'm sorry, this is like yeah. the most animated I've gotten, but it's driven me, that part of it just drove me nuts. Yeah,
0: I'm, also, I'm glad you both did Also, the score
1: like sounds exactly like the Beast of the Sun and the Wild score,
0: okay.
1: like with a couple of notes changed. Like I was like, oh, so you basically just wanted to use the same score but couldn't. <laughs> so you're like, hey, guy, do the same thing but change a couple of notes.
0: All right. Well, um, speaking as I was speaking a little bit ago about uh, Sundance being commercial, now I'm I'm very notoriously bad at predicting how movies will play box office wise because okay. I don't think I, I'm just out of touch. I guess. Sure. But I really liked this documentary Whirly Bird, and I really think it's the kind of thing that a lot of people will like well, I don't because know, it's just a documentary. But it's it's one of those documentaries that just like it's such a good story. Um. Okay. Uh, it, it's about this couple who started as, in the late 70s and early 80s, they started as independent news stringers, very much like Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Nightcrawler. Essentially, they were that's what they were doing. Mm. He's driving around and, and finding plane crashes and car crashes and, 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 and shooting footage. And they ended up being sort of the biggest uh, in Los Angeles uh, at doing this. Big enough that they were able to buy a helicopter, and then they became the go-to sort of, uh, they would just like... Uh, wait for news of some horrible thing and go fly above it. And they got car crashes. They were the, the footage of uh, Reginald Denny being beaten almost to death, death during the LA riots. That's them. They were the first people to on the white Bronco in OJ Simpson. Like these, the, the, this couple in their company, which ended up being more people were on the forefront of this sort of this epoch in what, tv news was right. and, and because of that so not only is it a great story because it's about this uh, uh, you know uh, a couple who witness all these things the movie is full of fascinating imagery just car crash car crashes and car chases and all the stuff you're kind of supposed to be like oh it's bad that they did this to news but also like this is undeniably exciting footage like throughout the movie uh uh-huh. and then the thing that I that the move that I've intentionally with, withheld from you with the movie uh, reveals pretty, uh, pretty quickly is that the husband, if you will, of the, they've since divorced and the husband uh, has since transitioned um, and uh, now um, lives somewhere in Northern California in like a fucking cabin uh, and is a woman. Um, and so you, uh, you get, you've got this great family dynamic, and the the idea of this man, sort of you know, quote unquote, who's acting in the, this controlling way about his toward his company, toward his family, right? And you see it, you you see it as like this seems like toxic masculinity run amok. But the movie is also saying, well, maybe this is not toxic masculinity. Maybe this is gender dysphoria run amok, and he's. He behaves like he, quote unquote, Bob, she, uh, uh, I think her name is Zoe now, um, behaves like this because she's trying to put on some sort of mantle of masculinity or because her life is completely out of her hands and she's trying to have some control over it. It's a really fascinating, uh, psychological portrait that doesn't, uh, uh, draw easy answers and conclusions, thank God, because those mm-hmm. are the worst kind of documentaries to me. Um, and also, it's just like like I said, a fantastic story and full of uh, r- really fascinating uh, and sometimes really upsetting imagery. Um, Worley Bird, I feel like, I feel like this is the, like it's, on the one hand, it's very, challenging and daring in some ways and in other ways it's so conventionally enjoyable that I feel like this is the kind of documentary you could like recommend to your parents like this could be on Netflix and you could be like oh mom dad you gotta watch Worley Bird you'll really like this Uh, so I really think people will like Worley Bird Um, and they should see it instead of seeing the movie that I saw instead of Spree which is Worth and the one thing that I'll point out about Worth is I had seen the director's last film The Kindergarten Teacher back when I thought her name was Sarah Colangelo. And then they introduced her as Sarah Colangelo. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I was, uh, that's almost, almost every syllable was different than (laughs) I thought it was. Um, But uh, Worth is uh, based on a a true story about the the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund in which um, Michael Keaton plays um, uh, Ken Ken Weinberg I can't remember his name now uh the guy who who oversaw the the lawyer who oversaw it and yeah plenty of it is very touching and maybe I got a little hitch in my throat or whatever but it feels like the movies that do this sort of true story thing correctly like last year's the report or spotlight from what 2015 whatever that was um they feel like you're actually following the thread you're following this things. that's happening moment by moment that you're keeping up with it. This feels like it, I used the term reverse engineer to talk about Wendy. I, sh- I should have reserved it for this because that's what this feels. You kind you feel like we know where this is going to end up. We, we, we know where we're going. We're going for the big emotional, like everyone, uh, agrees at the end type of happy thing. And ev- the whole movie just constantly feels like it's being pulled forward by its obvious ending. And so everything feels, uh, fake and, and poorly dramatized. Um, I mean, there's some funny stuff. You got Michael Keaton and, and Amy Ryan, um, and, and some other actors, uh, Gail Rankin again, uh, shows up in this. And then I should have said, uh, there's also some very sad stuff. Gail Rankin's scene is not funny. Actually, I think of her as a funny actress, but, uh, she plays the one of the victims you know someone who lost a family member in 9-11 has a uh re- really a uh, horrifying story there's there's plenty to pull on your emotional heartstrings and if that's what you want have at it but it feels like a a, a kind of a, a dishonest and not entirely thought through movie okay finally we end with another true-ish story yeah. right
1: it's it's on uh, well, actually, the yeah. most famous thing about Zola is that it's based on a Twitter thread,
0: right? Which we don't know entirely how much of that Twitter thread is actually true. I think
1: I think that there have there have been articles that came out after where they like interviewed her. Or they interviewed like the. Girl, the woman that she was talking about, like so, there is you. You can find out kind of a little bit of like what really happened versus what happened in the Twitter thread, and like that the person who posted the thread has always been very like, yeah, exaggerated for effect a little bit. She's yeah. not pretending that it's like an extremely factual yeah. account or anything. But anyway, and also so, they changed
0: some names and details again for Zola.
1: Yes, so uh, so yeah, it's based on that Twitter thread that went viral. What was it like two years ago?
0: It's four years. It was twenty fifteen. Was it that long Yeah, okay. it was a while well, it was ago. A,
1: it was a Twitter thread that went viral a few years ago um about this woman who was who a stripper and she met this other woman who was also a stripper uh, and then they and who like convinced her to go on a road trip down to Florida to kind of you know make some quick money dancing there and then you know it sounded like sure we'll go down there it'll be a couple days it'll be really easy we'll come back up but like it ends up just becoming this road trip from hell uh-huh. uh so and that and that thread like really just took off and people were like oh it should be a movie and then lo and behold now it is a movie directed by Janisa Bravo I don't know if I'm saying that correct. I
0: have no idea how to say her first name.
1: Okay but anyway so and it stars uh, Taylor Page as Zola and Riley Keog as in this movie she's called Stephanie and she's the other stripper um, yeah. and uh, it is so it's an adaptation of that.
0: And you've got Coleman Domingo as a uh, Stephanie's roommate, who turns out to be a pimp. <laughs> yes,
1: you've and story, you've you know. got Nicholas Braun from Succession, who is uh, Stephanie's boyfriend, and he is playing a very. If you have seen him on Succession, he is playing basically what you think would happen if Cousin Greg wasn't Zola. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's a it's 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 an it's an inherently interesting story because I mean, there's a reason that Twitter thread went viral. Um, it's also it's also frequently very funny. It's also got like a. It's one of those, it's one of those stories that was fun, both in the Twitter thread and in this, because you're just like, I can't believe this shit is happening. Yeah. So in that sense, it's really fun. One of the things I didn't expect is that I felt like what really appealed to me for the movie more than kind of how I felt about it emotionally was like it it felt like more of a cerebral movie to me than I necessarily expected when I heard like based on this Twitter thread about this wacky thing that happened to this one woman. And I really mean that as a compliment. Like one of the things I found really interesting about it is how the director uses the style Uh, she kind of adopts a very internet-y aesthetic, and I feel like if you see it, you'll see what I mean to tell this story. And it... it, it, I think
0: there's there's some, like, bits in there that, like, feel like she's specifically, like mirroring or reflecting the look of like specific apps like that it's like oh that seems like a boomerang video or that seems like a dub smash or whatever like all those like like, like, there's
1: like there's like a part where it feels like you're scrolling through instagram like when you mm -hmm. see timestamps in this movie they look like the iphone lock screen fonts (laughs) like things like that so like and uh you know you like a lot of the scenes are interrupted by like the little twitter notification sound and things like that and it just i think i think that that makes it so that it, what, what, it could have just been a fun story about this crazy thing that happened to these two women, uh, and like it would have just been fun if it was that. But I think that her, she usually, she really uses that style to make it about something more than that.
0: I think the thing you're, the, the thing that I felt, I'm glad you use the word cerebral, but the, the, um, because the thing that I think that it's about that's more than that is the, the way that a generation who has come up with social media. Experiences things both firsthand and at a remove simultaneously, Yeah. and I feel like that's the, that's what the movie's doing there by like having crazy things happen and oh my god this is crazy but also like the characters are always commenting on it not in yeah. like a not in like a sort of 90s post-irony type of way like in a way that feels very natural to them as part of the yeah. uh, as part of the experience of things is to be self-aware uh about it and to in, in a way in your mind almost instinctively repackage it y, y- yes. you know um yeah, I, 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 that's what I, I, I think that's the cerebral thing for me that, that that she was getting at there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a story about like what happens, but it's also a story about how this main character, Zola, kind of processes and repackages what happens and kind of how she owns that story and stuff like that. And they really make that point later on when you start to see the story from someone else's perspective for a bit yeah. and things like that. So I thought that that ended up being... It ended up being really interesting.
0: Yeah. And also, Riley Kyo uh, is always fantastic to me and is especially funny here i don't know i don't know what that accent is she's doing and i don't care because it's hilarious
1: i also give taylor page a lot of credit because like her character is one that spends a lot of the movie not like purposely not quite reacting because she's kind of in this situation and can't really get out of it easily but i feel like she has done a very good job of conveying what she's thinking uh without being too showy of a performance
0: well that's it we went from C to Z um <laughs> as Sundance 2020 thank you for uh for for following along we had a good time doing this we had a good time at sundance i saw a lot more of you at sundance than i did uh in recent years that um, was very
1: nice this yeah. was very nice thank you I,
0: I i i had a great time i hope the listeners did too you can of course find us uh find me uh tyler's not here you can find me at battleship com. that's where you can find reviews of uh all the stuff that i saw at at sundance um you can follow me at, David at like rate and review the podcast patreon.com slash battleship pretension please i can't remember what's on there uh this week but um do all of that uh follow me on twitter at david pretension. i can't remember if i said that uh angie where can people find find you uh in your work
1: uh you can find my writing including my reviews of a lot of these films at mashable.com and you can find me on twitter at ajhan
0: all right uh thank you for being here angie
1: thank you for having me
0: thank you and hope for listening And we'll get you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the battleship pretension fleet.